0: Thanks for tuning in to the A Champion's Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mario Ariave, and I'm here with special guest today, Payson McElveen. Payson, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. Awesome, dude. So, Payson, uh, introduce yourself, please, for those folks that are listening. Uh, yeah, my name is Payson McElveen. Um, I'm a pro mountain bike racer living in Durango, Colorado. I uh, grew up Outside Austin, Texas, though, and uh, have deep Texas roots there. I know probably many of Mario's listeners are from Texas, so you might appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's me.
0: <laughs> no, no. Okay, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I said McElveen. First of
1: all, that's yeah. strike one for me. No, that works. Um, there are, that there works. Are, but there are two E's in your last name, dude. Like so. But... I no, that's why I say it works because it's just too much to ask of people to, to say to do otherwise. Yeah, but, hey,
0: that's not you. Come on, man. You're a pro mountain biker. Who do you ride for? Come on. Let's tease it out a little
1: Um, bit. uh, I ride for the Orange Seal off-road team. Um, I'm a Red Bull athlete. Uh, I ride on Trek bikes. Um, Been racing professionally for, geez, I guess six years now? Um, It's crazy how the years are adding up. But uh, I went to Fort Lewis College in Durango, and... um, just really fell in love with the town fell in love with the community knew that to reach my uh, professional cycling goals that was the town i needed to be in so um i've kind of settled in there and it's been uh going on eight years now all right
0: um but that's still not all of you um your kids have a little bit of the uh, red white and blue on them no
1: <laughs> Some of them do. Yeah.
0: All right, so explain that to me a little bit. Uh
1: yes, yeah, so I'm the two-time uh marathon mountain bike national champion, defending national champion, uh which was an absolute dream come true last year, um especially with having my dad there racing also. Um and this year I managed to win again, so uh haven't needed to change my wardrobe up yet, which is nice. Um yeah. It's been been pretty surreal, uh, I guess having that um, tagline next to your name. Um, I've tried to not let it change the way I think about what I do or how I do things, um, but it has certainly opened some doors and um, is, has been a, a really fun boost to my career. Yeah, and man Payson
0: just uh one of the one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet if you guys have a chance to super approachable just really a consummate professional on all levels um but if you guys already didn't notice like i had to prompt him to kind of roll out his accomplishments and some of the things that he's done which are are awesome right i mean red bull athlete they don't just hand those out right and you know national championships they, they don't just hand those out either um but Payson, can you kind of talk a little bit? And this is this is common with a lot of professional athletes, a lot of successful people. It's kind of like they walk in a room and it's like, hey, yeah, my name's, my name's Payson McElvin. You know, good to meet you. And it's like, no, dude, like there's a lot more to you than that, right? But it's like pulling teeth. Can you explain that like why, why you don't just come out and say – Payson McElvin, two-time national champ, Red Bull athlete. Yeah, that's me. I mean, what, what is it that you've learned from your experiences or, or coming up that that kind of has you to where that's you're a little bit more reserved than that?
1: Um, hmm. Well, first of all, I don't think that uh, cockiness ever comes across all that well-received. I mean, it's hard to – I don't know. Maybe in in football, in the NFL or something, when they're getting super hyped up for a momentum change in the game, and you know they're beating their chest. And uh, I think cockiness can be helpful there. But you know, when you're when you're meeting someone, it's a little bit of a, a turnoff. I think if they just start rifling off their resume to you, um, I actually <laughs> I had a professor at one point that literally introduced themselves by their first and last name and their PhD, and we could just never take them seriously and, uh, honestly had less respect for them, um, and, uh, probably didn't have as great of a learning relationship with them as we could have just because their, that initial personality trait was a little bit grating, um, so, yeah, I mean, just try to avoid that, and then also, (laughs) to be fair, I mean, under contract, I have to wear a Red Bull hat pretty much at all times. And most folks know what that means. So in this scenario, I sort of do have, I guess, one of my quote unquote titles labeled on me at all times and I don't need to say it.
0: Yeah. I guess, I guess I'll tease it out a little bit further. I mean, so you're a two time defending national champion, right? In marathon. And it's like when you lined up that next year to defend, Um, I mean, did people just, did your competitors basically say, Hey man, it's, uh, it's all good, brother. We'll just kind of sit behind you and uh, go ahead and just cross the line first. I mean, we'll give you another one. I mean, is that how it played out?
1: Absolutely not. In fact, it was, uh, the most brutal, um, race I've ever participated in. Uh, I mean, there's different kinds of, uh, discomfort and race discomfort, but just from an acute, three hour and 15 minute standpoint uh no at no point was the wind getting handed to me um and in fact it was my best buddy that I was mostly at the mercy of who was just cracking the whip from wire to wire
0: <laughs> yeah and so you know I think that's you, you didn't come out and say it but I think that's one thing that we just inherently kind of understand and if there's a kind of an, under, an undertone there is like well, I mean, I can talk about what I've done, but nobody cares, right? right. Um, like, like you know, I can talk about the fact that I'm two-time national champ. You know, I can talk about the fact that I'm a Red Bull athlete. But just because I may have those accolades, just because I may ride for this team or I or, or I may have this race that I've won or whatever, that doesn't mean – it doesn't mean anything, right? I mean, you know, you're – I've heard the saying before, you're only as good as your last race, you know?
1: Yeah, um,
0: yeah. And, and, you know, if you rest on being – if you rest on being national champion, we're we're in for we're in for some hard times ahead, right? So can yeah. you talk a little bit about you know that that being said, um, you were able to do it. You, you were able to back it up the next year, which mm-hmm. means that you didn't coast into that next national championship. You you probably did some things right and put in some of the work. So what did it? Wh- I guess walk us through like the minute after you won that first one. And then, you know, 24 hours later, and then two weeks later, and kind of what was the evolution of like, at some point, maybe you snapped out of it, and you're like, dude, okay, cool. This is not going to get me all the way to next year, though. I got to get back to, you know, the basics. I mean, what was the evolution of kind of how that all went?
1: Yeah, um, so I guess following that first year, there was a, you know, you and I have talked about this, following any major success, there's often a little bit of an emotional lull, or you find yourself in the doldrums a little bit. Um, honestly, I don't remember exactly, uh, how things played out directly following, but I remember the, just the excitement and the pure emotion of achieving that goal, um, that meant a lot professionally, but really mostly just meant a huge amount personally. Um, it's it sort of, it really just stoked the fire for me. And there was a, a whole bunch of doors that opened, um, And I really wanted to, you know, get up and walk through them and take advantage of those other opportunities. And so I ended up having a superb um, year following that also uh, race-wise. So it wasn't like uh, I struggled with motivation or at no point did I feel like, all right, you know, I can wash my hands and I'm done, done with my season, you know, 2017 box checked. Um, I theoretically according you know depending on who you ask I had a couple other results later that year um that may have even been better um and so then going into 2018 I knew firsthand how uh winning a national title had changed my career um and I really wanted more of that (laughs) I, I wanted to further my career I wanted to uh, have that feeling again. Um, but more so than that, I just wanted to prove it to myself uh, that I was still national champion. Um, and so I worked really, really, really hard going into um, this year's marathon national championships. Um, and I knew I had to work extra hard too, because my main competitor and best friend Howard Grotz uh, in uh, April, maybe it was March um, won the Absa Cape Epic, which is uh, other than the Olympics and the World Championships, is the uh, biggest, most important mountain bike race that exists. Um, He's the first American to win it, and uh, it was a huge, huge deal. Um, and to do that, I mean, he had to beat the world champion. He had to be. He was teammates with the Olympic champion. It's a duo race, um, and so I knew he was going to be really, really hard to beat. And he was at a different level, and I had to be at a different level. Um, and so, yeah, just worked really, really hard. Um, actually, trained with him quite a bit, which is probably ironic and not something that many people would do. And then we even ended up driving to the race and rooming at <laughs> Nationals <laughs> together. Um, that's just kind of the, you know, the way we we do things and our perspective on bike racing. But um, yeah, it it worked out again, luckily.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what's the okay? You. You know, you're doing the training, you know, you're with your coach, you know, and and you're like, okay, man, this is, this is a real possibility. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to be like, ah, this is a stretch. It's another thing to say, hey, we're, we're in the wheelhouse. I mean, you've got Mm -hmm. the, you've got the skills and you've got the power and you've got the, you've got the package to make a run at this. All right, that sounds great, but, you know, I'm, I'm I'm lying in bed and I still don't see a national championship jersey anywhere in my room, you know. But then, then, <laughs> then you get it, right? Then you actually did the race and you actually won the jersey and it's like exhale, right? It's like, okay, I, I I am capable of this. You know, there's always that little bit of uncertainty no matter how good your numbers are, no matter how good you think you are. There's a, If you haven't done it, you're always wondering – Am I, am I capable of that? Just a little bit of that, you know, uncertainty, but then you get it. Can you tell us like, what's the, what's the balance between, okay, like this thing gave me the confidence that now I can do this? but then not letting it go overboard to now thinking, oh, cool, I've got this, and now we just sit on the couch and we don't do the necessary things to actually be able to repeat and do it again like you did. Does that does that okay. make does that question make sense kind of the I need to take something from that experience that can help me make help make me better, but at the same time I can't get too carried away with that because there there's work to be done over here on this side.
1: Right, right. Yeah, um, I think there's some different aspects to that. The first one probably is just, uh, some, just some, I guess, intrinsic pride that I have in the work. So if I skip one workout, I feel bad about myself. And I mean, there's, there's times when you have to skip a workout. Life gets in the way, you're ill, you're injured, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if everything is fine and you decide that you just don't want to do the training ride that day or or do the session that day. Um, that's just not me that I've never been able to handle that. Um, and I just love the work. I honestly oftentimes think that I love the training more than the racing. Um, so at no point is training motivation an issue for me. Um, on the other hand, uh, being a professional athlete, I understand the economics of this job, I understand that uh, you may not be only as good as your most recent result, but to an extent, you're only as good as your most recent season. Um, And so, if I were to get injured one year and get absolutely no results, um, I I have a a group of sponsors that that I'm very fortunate to have, and I know that I would still have a job the next year and an opportunity to prove myself. But I wouldn't uh, be in as good a place professionally. Um, and that's an extreme example. But if I just had kind of a down year with mediocre results, same sort of thing. Uh, my contracts the following year would reflect that. And so, you know, being an athlete and being a quote-unquote achiever or someone that's ambitious and trying to chase things, I'm constantly trying to improve myself um uh, as an athlete, but also professionally, I have professional goals as well as I do athletic goals. And so I know that results are absolutely a central component to that success. And then lastly, just longer term, um, you know, two national titles is wonderful. I mean, I'm, I'm so, so fortunate. Not many people can say that, but Todd Wells has 16. My best friend (laughs) Howard has like six and he's my age, at least six. I'm talking pro national titles, not amateur ones. Um, And because he's got a bunch more amateur ones. Um, In the scheme of things, I'm not that, I've got a long way to go. (laughs) If I want to um, be in the conversation with those guys, uh, you know, long term or, or when we hang it up, um, there's a lot of work left to do. So, and I'm fine with that.
0: Well, and then like if I were to if I were to pull you know Howard onto the podcast, which by the way Howard I, I would love to have you on, but um then then he would say, yeah I've got six, but man there's this other guy that has this many or he's done this and I haven't done this right, and so yeah I mean when you get around, you know people are like man that that dynamic with with you know Payson and Howard just hanging around being good friends and then having to race each other and like I mean. I can imagine some of those training sessions that you're talking about, you know, and it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, I understand that when we get into the crucible of competition, like, dude, I'm, I'm looking to ride away from you. You're looking to ride away from me, but man, how cool is it that we can actually kind of put our swords down and train together. And maybe yeah. some of those training sessions get a little spirited as well. Right. But we're, we're yeah. doing it because we know that like, Dude, if I'm riding with you and you're training with me, oh, man, are we making ourselves just better, right? And so it's not – this is kind of a weird way to think about it. And let me see if I can explain this well to, to anybody listening. Like it, It's not like a it, – it's a rivalry because I still want to beat you. But, at the same time that I want to beat you, I'm really, really thankful that I have you around as a resource to be able to make me better, right? It's yeah. not really it's like you're thinking to yourself, it's not really about beating Howard, but it's about the fact that like holy smokes, if I beat Howard on a good day, dude, I probably had a like a good day myself that I can be proud of, right? And yeah. so you know what I always tell people is. You know, what's the what's the purpose of competition, you know, and the purpose of competition, what I tell people is it's to use your competitors to to elevate yourself to a standard that like you maybe didn't think was possible or that mm. you thought was possible, but that you needed their help with. Right. So no. it's almost like, hey, at the end of a race. If I'm walking around and I'm patting everybody that I got to race on the back, saying, "Hey, I really appreciate you pushing me, man. Like, I really thank you for for what you were able to do for me there, right?" And it yeah. sounds kind of weird because it's like, you know, but isn't that what we're doing, right? I mean, we're just looking to elevate. I mean, I just want to be the best version of myself, you know? And, and yeah, you can absolutely. Help me that cool,
1: you know? Yeah, and and I mean that's kind of the whole reason I moved to Durango um, is to be is to not be the best in the room. You don't necessarily want to be the worst in the room, but even that's not a worst case scenario because you won't always be the worst in the room. Um, but you want to be around a lot of people that are better than you. Um, so that's why I moved to Durango. And then just another example, one of our uh, other best buddies, um, Sepp Kuss, was in town uh, oh. Durango the week before. Uh, for Howard and I, it was the week before Leadville. And for Sepp, it was the week before Tour of Utah. And um, the three of us, you know, grew up racing together as uh, U23s and juniors, and we're on the same team for a little bit uh, for a couple of years on, on bike. And, you know, Sepp's obviously gone away to the Pro Tour thing and gone over to Europe and is doing uh, all these crazy week-long stage races like the Dauphiné and all these training camps with Kroiswick and Primoz Roglic and all these guys. And, uh, you know, Howard and I were just really excited to finally get to – to ride with him again, um, because usually when we hang out, uh, these days, it might be for a ride, but oftentimes it's just off the bike stuff. And so it was perfect because Sep had one of his last hard days before tour of Utah. Howard and I had kind of our last smash day before Leadville. And so the three of us just went out and, uh, you know, kind of went back and forth and <laughs> we're crushing each other. And, um, it was so cool to see firsthand how far Sep has come and to see, uh, the level, um, that is possible. Um, both those guys, Howard and Sep are more naturally gifted talent, uh, naturally gifted climbers than I am. Um, and Howard is, is kind of considered the best climber on dirt, but to see Sep on a road bike, you know, in the mountains around Durango, Howard and I were just kind of looking at each other, shaking our heads, but it was, it was so good because, uh, we went into Leadville just really, really prepared. Riding with someone, obviously Leadville is an incredibly climb-heavy event, and our last really hard session was with uh, one of the best climbers in the world. Um, so even though uh, it was pretty debilitating <laughs> training with seven Mountain, <laughs> um, it was exactly what we needed, and uh, you know, high fives all around. Went out that night, had some beers, and. Uh, you know, patted each other on the back because we knew we were all ready for the race coming up.
0: Yeah. Well, and so, a little backstory there. I mean, for those of you that don't follow uh, pro cycling, road cycling, like, he would go on to absolutely smash Utah, the tour of Utah, you know? Um, yeah. Like, he, he just, he literally didn't probably just ride away from you and Todd, if he did, like, or uh, Howard, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Um, he literally rode away from the entire Peloton at the Tour of Utah, you know, on, yeah. on uh, the stage up to Snowbird. And so,
1: yeah.
0: uh, man, how cool was that, right? Like, again, just the perspective you guys had. Like, you can you can now look back on that ride and be like, we didn't know this, but, you know, a few days later, this dude went out and completely just ripped, you know, this race. And before we talk about Leadville for you, um, I, I want to go back, for those of you listening to the podcast that are runners, I mean, if you want to study – so Durango, you know, is – Durango is known to be the hotbed for mountain biking you know, like Payson has been on the podcast before and he's talked about the fact that like, you can probably ride every trail, you know, like once or maybe, you know, get to it around maybe twice a year, but that's about it. You know, like there's just so much of an expanse out there and, and like people go there. I mean, you haven't mentioned Chris Blevins and (laughs) (laughs) he's pretty good, you know, so there's another guy, but this reminds me of like Durango for those of you that are running fanatics, like. This was uh, the Boston Athletic Association, the Boston Athletic Club, over in the, uh, I think it was the 80s when Bill Rogers was around and Ambie Burfoot and those guys. And, like, all of these marathoners were just, like, the best marathoners in the world, like, were a part of this club. And Americans were, like, some of the best marathoners in the world at that time. And it was because they got around each other. And it was this same exact thing, right? It was this, there's so many good guys here but we're not doing the ego thing we're all looking at each other help me i'll help you come on let's go right and everybody just got together and the level that was like achieved was amazing and then it it, it then all these guys kind of moved away and running became kind of monetized and as soon as all these guys disbanded they went back to their hometowns or their different you know places and some of these guys never achieved like, mm. that level of uh, of running again, you know, because mm. they weren't around that environment. So there is something to be said, you know, like, in the in the pro ranks, like, you know, it's known that you guys go do training camps, and you guys get around each other, and you guys do those kinds of things, because there is something about getting together with like-minded individuals uh, to be able to achieve more, you know, and, uh, you know, the community aspect of that, the modeling aspect of that, and everything um, is, is huge, but, uh, so... He goes off to go smash Tour Utah. You went off to smash Leadville, right? I mean, how was that? How was that experience? How did it turn out for you?
1: Um, It was good. It uh, it shared some similarities to Marathon Nationals last year where – or sorry, looking at the comparison of Marathon Nationals 2017 versus 2018, there were some similarities with comparing 2017 Leadville to 2018 Leadville, um, mostly because – the, the field was just a lot more top heavy. Uh, we had uh, Howard again, who is defending Leadville champion, but um, the reigning marathon world champion uh, showed up and brought his whole team. Um, so we knew that that was going to add an interesting element. He's the he's one of two riders. He and a teammate went under six hours, uh, I believe, in 2015, which is still the only time that's happened. Wow. Um, <laughs> And there's sort of some rumblings that this current world champion Alban Lakata is uh, nearing the end of his career and um, you know looking to check just a couple more bucket list items uh, off his list and so the day before we were sort of hearing that uh, they wanted to just go full-time trial team time trial mode and smash it and do like a 545 and uh, <laughs> we we're we we're just Howard and I, that night, were just like, oh, man, this is going to be <laughs> a long day, just flat out. Um, but it was funny. it complete, the, the dynamic was totally different. It was a really, quote-unquote, negative first half, very conservative um, racing, just downright slow. Um, I think we made it to the bottom of Columbine, uh, close to 10 minutes behind um, uh, the, the pace last year. Um, Columbine is the – so it's an out-and-back. You go up and over a handful of passes on your way out, and then you climb uh, this nearly 4,000-foot oars category climb um, up to 12,600 feet, turn around at the top, retrace your steps all the way back to Leadville. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds
0: easy. Yeah,
1: easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And going up Columbine, which takes a little under an hour to climb – Um, I could tell I was on a good day and went over the top, uh, in a group of three with Howard, uh, Christian Hynek, who is, uh, he's one of the teammates of that world champion, um, and has medaled at worlds a couple times. Um, so the three of us went over the top together. We'd ridden away from Albon, which was, uh, a little mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, we're headed back to Leadville, and I thought, heck yeah, you know, third is looking pretty good again. Top three podium is looking not too shabby. And I look behind us, and here come the rainbow stripes just steamrolling across this rolling hour long section um, solo. And, you know, the three of us were, were rotating on this fast section of dirt road and pavement and averaging somewhere around 25 miles an hour. Wow. And here comes this here comes this world champion solo riding back to us. And I was just like, Oh man, (laughs) this is, this is about to get really hard. (laughs) Um, but I guess that's why he has that Jersey on. Um, and then, uh, going up power line, which is sort of the crux of the race. It's like the, it's the grand finale. It's not the last climb, but it's, uh, at the bot, it's 80 miles in, so you've got about 22 miles to go, 23 miles to go. Uh, you're toast. Um, it's a hot day by that point, very exposed climb. And it's just this straight shot, 10-minute uh, grind at 14% on this loose, rutted-out access road. You go up that, you get like a 30-second descent, and then you go straight into another 15 or 16 minutes of... Just gnarly, rocky, rough, uh, 10% grade climbing, um, and so that's when the that's when the race r- usually gets decided. Um, and unfortunately, I started cramping right at the bottom of that. Howard and Christian rode away, battling for the win, and, and Albon ended up riding away from me too. And uh, really, no matter how much inspiration I tried to pull from from uh, looking at these rainbow stripes in front of me, um, I just couldn't hold his wheel, and he he rode away. I was really locked up with these cramps, and he ended up putting a minute 15 on me on this one climb, which you know is theoretically that's curtains. That's a big gap. Um, and so I was kind of starting to make peace with uh, finishing fourth this year and not making the podium. Um, but I I write a note on my top tube uh, for more important races. I have some different things that I write, but usually uh, this one is is what I write, and it's it's very simple. It just says Standing Man, which is a, a reference to this uh, old Russian proverb about a prisoner of war. Um, you can probably go dig up the details on the Internet, but um, it's a fairly uh, – I don't want to say stereotypical story, but um, one that's been told plenty of times where basically someone – is knocked down, uh, physically, you know, and like the Rocky movie <laughs> and they just decide to get up one more time than they're knocked down. Um, and I mean, that's a nice little thing to be reminded of in and of itself. But, um, for a couple of reasons, it reminds me very specifically of my dad. Um, and I found that when I, I do have that note on my top tube, regardless of the circumstances, I'm pretty much incapable of giving up. And by giving up, I don't mean stepping off my bike. I mean throwing in the towel competitively and settling for whatever place I'm in. Um, So, you know, did the various things that I've learned to do to kind of work through cramps, spinning a lighter gear, uh, getting some pickle juice, just trying to to focus on working these cramps out, massaging the legs a little bit. And I was kind of able to pull my legs out of this, death zone that they were in and, uh, found a rhythm again and then right at the top of the last climb, lo and behold, there's the dang rainbow jersey again. (laughs) And I was just like, dadgummit, are you kidding? On the one hand, I was stoked, of course. Sure, sure. And then on the other hand, I just thought, seriously? (laughs) Now, I'm gonna have to battle the best dude in the world all the way to the line six hours in. Ugh. Um... But it was it was a uh, it's it's what we live for competitively you know it was it was such it had all the ingredients of just the perfect test um, and we worked so long and worked so hard to be as strong and tough as we can possibly be and so um, it, it was just a wonderful opportunity really. Um, and uh, I was still kind of cramping and so I ended up actually pulling the entire pretty much the entire last half hour back to town on these flatter roads because if I stopped pedaling, my legs would cramp. (laughs) Um, And at one point, I think, I don't know, for ego reasons or something, he just, like, refused to let me have the front and took a pull on the front. And so I was literally holding my brakes, dragging my brakes, so that I could keep pedaling and wouldn't have to coast in the draft because I would just immediately lock up if I I stopped pedaling. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, – but but I knew that um, I have this little ace in my back pocket, which is that usually I can outkick just about anyone um, at the finish, especially – usually I can outkick most anyone if there's a little bit of a, like an uphill drag or a, a steep li- little punch type thing, probably with the exception of some guys like Chris Blevins, who you mentioned earlier. I mean there's plenty of people that out <laughs> outkick me, but – I'm talking, you know, in marathon mountain bike racing. Uh, So as bad as I wanted to just send it and see what would happen, I waited and waited and waited. And we got to this final pavement home stretch, quarter mile to go, and um, started just getting super hyped up. We talked about ego earlier, and mentally I probably had some ego going where I was, you know, totally trash-talking this world champion. Just like, I'm going to completely F this dude up. and. And uh, Yeah, just classic thing, just faded off the back of him and just attacked him as hard as I could with a big head of steam so that hopefully he just wouldn't even have the mental bullets to want to follow. And uh, it worked out. I think he, to be fair, probably anything other than the win, he's not too interested in. Um, So that was also, I'm sure, beneficial, but it was a pretty, pretty special day.
0: You end up taking it, huh? You end up getting third?
1: Yeah. 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 So sorry. That was a super long story, but I figured I'd, I'd take you through no, man. some no, of the details no. just because, uh, it was one of the more memorable race experiences I've had. And, um, you know, there was definitely, you know, knowing what you do there, there was definitely some mental, there was a lot of, it was probably mostly mental actually, now that I think about it. Um, a lot of mental tactics there, uh, many of which you and I have worked on and, um, so, anyway, figure it might be a, no, a representative. Super,
0: yeah, yeah. No, super awesome story, right? It's like, again, like, why is it such an awesome story? Because here you have the guy that finishes third at Leadville, and everybody's thinking to themselves, third at Leadville, man, clear head of steam in front of them, good day, so easy, look at that guy, puts on the Red Bull hat, man, love it, you know? And I'm back here, like, trying to break, you know, 10 hours and uh, – I'm suffering like a dog. I mean, that guy probably don't even know, right? And it's like, oh, no, he knows. Like, the guy that won, he knew he was in a pain cave. He had to suffer for that win. And the person that finishes dead last, they're going to suffer too. See, I think what um, what folks tend to believe is that as you get stronger and as you get faster, that you suffer less, now, um, I think that here's the thing, that that could be possible, right? Because here's the thing. Um, if I get fitter and stronger and I choose not to exert myself to my full capacity, sure, it's going to get easier, right? But, uh, you know, you and I share a, a mutual coach in uh, Christian Williams and, you know, at the Williams Racing Academy. And, and what he, what he says is we don't get fitter and stronger so that we can like, win easier or make races easier, we actually get fitter and get stronger so that we can actually go harder and make the races harder for other people, right? Uh, And so it's a different perspective. So it's like, everybody should, theoretically on paper, everybody should, when they compete, be giving their absolute best 100%, um, which means that everybody at some point is going to reach a point of immense suffering. Um, but again, therein lies the, you know, the riddle of, and part of what I do in my business is how do we get people to consistently do that, right? Because it's no secret that guys like you are rare and the things that you guys do are rare, but you're just a normal dude that just got a package at a hotel and had to answer the phone. like <laughs> there's nothing special about you, but you get cramps at mile 80. And you have a, a quote on your stem, and all of a sudden you don't say, dang, man, I've got cramps. I guess I need to back off. You start thinking to yourself, okay, it's pickle juice time. Okay, it's spinning an easier gear time, right? And it's yeah. like, all right, I need to be on the front for, like, the rest of this race because, like, I can't stop pedaling. Like, who in their right minds would even think that's a good idea, right? And it's <laughs> like, oh, you know who thinks it's a good idea? The professional that consistently puts out 100%, right? And you're not perfect at that. There are days when you probably give less than your best effort and you're kind of like, man, that was, you know, I'm not really too proud of that, you know, effort that I gave. Um, right. But but again, the, the key is, for those of you listening, the key is not perfection in doing that. The key is being consistent in doing that and bringing those kind of efforts to the table more than the other person, right? Um, and so one of the things that I have down here to ask you was like, you mentioned, okay, uh, three, three different times. Actually, you mentioned, uh, before the race, you and Howard sitting down and like hearing the rumors of like these guys wanting to go like five minutes and 45 seconds or five hours and 45 minutes, yeah. like, you know, just time traveling. And you guys are like, Oh boy. Yeah. You mentioned watching, you know, the world champion, like riding across solo and you being like, okay, it's about to get hard. Yeah. Um, yeah you know and then you mention like great now i've got to put these cramps down and like you know this is going to be really really difficult and i and i and i actually catch the world champion now and it's like what did i just do like i caught the guy now like the guy's yeah. going to want to race me again yeah but but it's funny because you mention those and like on the surface people are like oh man that stinks he didn't really want that but <laughs> twisted in a twisted sense you do want that right i mean heck yeah yeah like what and and why is it? Like can you tease that out? Like why is it that you're going, Oh, this is gonna hurt Howard if they wanna time trial this and go five forty five, but cool, let's do it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the main things that attracts me and probably many other people to this sport, um, is it it tests you in a way that many other things can't. And it helps you find your limits and helps you discover what you're made of. Um and pushes you to constantly become better. And if you don't get those, you know, quote unquote exams, those like really, really hard tests now and then, you don't know what you're made of. I mean, you can go train your brains out. I mean, how often do you cramp in a training ride, in a normal training ride? I'm not talking like some 110 degree day where you like forget bottles or something. In, 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 in somewhat normal training circumstances, how can you make yourself? Can you make your muscles fail, like truly fail and cramp, in a workout on your own? Um, I've had it happen a few times, but it's pretty far between. I mean, it, it's really, really hard to do. Put yourself in a race scenario like this, and you get to cramp for three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that's that's a true test. That's finding your limits, um, and and that's that's what I live for. And, uh, I know I'm not alone in that regard. I know you live for that in some regards and many, many other people do too. Well, and it's, you know, people
0: are listening to this and it's like, okay, he's a professional, but why should I listen to this? And it's like, well, you should listen to this because like he's, he's sharing a principle and we're talking about a principle that's (laughs) applicable to everybody, right? I mean, even somebody that, even somebody that doesn't even ride bikes, even somebody that, you know, is dealing with a difficult circumstance. It doesn't even have to do with sport, maybe. It just has to do with maybe, like, illness or job or whatever. Like, even even still, though that this principle is applicable to that, right? Um, yeah. And so, it's not like this is meant for, like, elitist professionals. Like, you know, you don't know anything about, like, being an average Joe. Like, well, actually, you were an average Joe at some point. And so, there's that. But we don't, you know, we're not going to jump into that discussion. We don't have time for that. But so, you know... It's applicable to everybody, right? All the way down the line. Um, But one of the last things that I want to talk about is, and I find this fascinating, so if y'all didn't catch it, um, Payson's having to ride the front like that last little bit of the race because he's cramping and he's like, dude, if I stop pedaling, I'm going to cramp. Well, the world champion, Ego, or I I think that maybe there was a little bit of of mind games going on there where he was like, I need to to show this guy that I can pull through. Um, you know, He gets in front of you. And, like, you're dragging the brakes to have to sit behind him because that would allow you to keep your legs turning so that you don't just lock up. Yeah. Um, I, I want – I mean, you probably understand how amazing that is. Um, you know, maybe you haven't thought about it, maybe. But, like, you went from having debilitating cramps – To actually having to ride your brakes because the guy in front of you that's wearing the rainbow jersey is not going fast enough to allow you to continue to pedal. That's pretty amazing, right?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, and it's all because uh, another principle that you put to place, obviously, and we talked about, you were so focused on the solution to the obstacle. Like, how am I going to get around this obstacle? Like, okay, I'm going to get on the front. Okay, problem solved, right? Yeah, until he decides to come around shoot okay the obstacles kind of change like the obstacle still cramps but now my my circumstances have changed a little bit how do i come up with a solution now oh i've got to drag my brakes right yeah. and and, yeah. and to most people if you're not thinking clearly right if you don't have a good headspace which you obviously had which you needed to have to finish third in a race of this caliber like most people if you're not thinking clearly you're going uh-oh he's, you know, he's on the front. Oh man, I'm going to start panicking. Like, what what do I need to do? Should I go around him right away? Oh man, and then all of a sudden you stop pedaling and you lock up and it's like, well, the race is over. Mm -hmm. Versus just being calm and being like, okay, what's the next thing that I can do to keep myself from my legs locking up? Oh, I can just drag the brakes a little bit, you know, and, Uh and just, and have that become a solution to the problem. So, I think that's absolutely fascinating, man. Because like, you you were at a disadvantage, but you you still morphed it into let me work with this right it's kind of like you know the landing gear goes out on the airplane like you can still land the plane i mean yeah. it might not look exactly like you want it to but i mean the plane right. still can land yeah um somewhere <laughs> at some yeah. point you know? yeah and just hope for the best i mean here's the thing you catch them hey the, this the book's not over like we have no idea There's still racing left i mean this this story could have easily been a Well, I caught the world champion and then my legs locked up and I got passed by seven other people and I got (laughs) ten. like, you know, I mean, we didn't know how it was going to end. Yeah. Right. Like the plane's still going to land. It may not land the way we want it to. But in in this case, in this scenario, like it landed pretty well with with you landing on the podium and getting third, Um, you know, and, and, and you did the best that you could. Right. It's like, did you have the legs to get first or second, despite, you know, if the cramps weren't there? Eh, why would we Probably waste not. our time thinking about that, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, you know what? that That's that's water under the bridge, man. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to call my buddies back together and be like, hey, let's run this thing back, you know, because if I didn't have those cramps, it's like, nope, too late. It's over. It's okay. No problem. You know, let's just move on to the next one, right?
1: Well, and I don't – yeah, and I don't want to over-glorify like my, my mental fortitude either because there was absolutely back and forth. I mean I – for sure I considered throwing in the towel um, and and having the storyline be I finished just off the podium a close fourth to the world champion. That's not a bad storyline either, but this and that's the storyline that people would see and hear. But the storyline that I would know that I would have in my head and my heart the rest of my career is that I didn't plumb the complete depths. I did not find – my absolute limit. I quit before the finish line, um, and I've been—I I have done that before. I've—I've I've quit plenty of races, um, <clears throat> you know, late in my junior years, uh, early in the U23 years, before I really figured out what it meant to be a professional. Um, mm. And and so I've—I've uh, I've gone through that learning experience, and now I know um, that it's never worth it. And so that's why uh, I was able to keep my head in the game. And then going back to the, the whole uh, amateur racer component real quick and the, the, you know, the person that finishes last, one of the really cool unique things about the Leadville 100 is that it's an out-and-back and you see last place. You pass last place on the course at some point yeah, going opposite wow, yeah. directions, obviously. Um, and usually where it happens is uh, as we're blasting down Columbine at 40, 45 miles an hour, <laughs> these, these thousands of people are walking or grinding up at one, two, four miles an hour.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and Mario, I got to tell you, it is one of the coolest experiences I've been ever been a part of in bike racing because they are so excited to see the leaders coming down. Yeah. And it's just this tunnel of sound the whole way. Um, it's like, you know, it's like you're in the tour and there's all these people screaming at you and cheering and going crazy, but there are other racers in the race going up the course. Yeah. Um, and it just gives you chills. And I, I, you know, I got kind of choked up and they, they pull this inspiration from the front riders. But what I don't think they realize is how much inspiration we pull from them too, because like we've talked about, they're going through every bit as much discomfort as we are and they're doing it twice as long. I mean, the cutoff time is 12 hours. We finish – this year we finished in a little over six hours. Someone finished at 11 hours and 59 minutes. That's right. Um, And it's crazy. And we actually, you know, after we finished our – got some food and changed and did podium and everything, we walked back over to the finish to watch that last person make time cutoff and give them a high five because that is – that is every bit as much of an accomplishment as you know whoever wins the race.
0: Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get into your socials here in a second, where where people can follow you and stuff like that if they're not currently doing that and kind of follow your career. Um, this is part of the reason why you've got some of the following that you have because one of the things that I really like to see in folks that are successful is, hey man, listen, you know, don't forget where you came from, right? Don't forget that like, sure, you're blasting down and yeah, you're going to finish in just over six hours and that guy's going to take 12, but hey, you're not, you're not better than that guy, right? I mean, you all got on a bicycle and you all paid an entry fee and, you know, I mean, show a little love, right? Um, And so I, I believe that that has made you a better professional. Just having that, that perspective, right? Just having that, that, that mindset of. Like, I value everybody. And again, you do a great job of doing that. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're very approachable, as as approachable as you can be because you're really busy these days, you know, and, and people also kind of need to understand that, you know, that the life of a, of a professional, like before we jumped on here you know i was like yeah people probably think now all you know all you do nowadays is just sit around and drink a bunch of red bull but there's actually a lot more to it than that you know but uh, i do
1: because i'm pulling 16 hour work days
0: yeah 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 exactly <laughs> but but you know as best you can you still try to connect with with everybody and as many people as you can cuz you understand like i I know what it's like to be there, and, uh, you know, like you said, as much inspiration as you feel that I provide for you, you know, it's reciprocated, and it's coming back to me, right, um, no. from you, uh, so, but, uh, yeah, man, so just a really neat story uh, about Leadville, and uh, just thanks so much for sharing that, and let's let's jump real quick into, like, what's next for you, Payson, like, what do you got coming up that people can, uh, can tune into?
1: Um, let's see... So I get to go home uh, Friday, got a, one last big training weekend, and then um, I'm headed up to Idaho for Rebecca's Private Idaho, which is a gravel stage race. It's one of the biggest gravel races um, in the country now, which is something I've been dabbling in a little bit. Um, I tried my hand at Dirty Kansas and had a whole buffet of bad luck so I've, I've wanted to get back on the gravel bike and, and give that kind of racing another try so I'm going to do that this coming weekend um, and then at the <clears throat> complete opposite end of the spectrum I'm going to go to San Francisco weekend of uh, the 8th to do a Red Bull event called Red Bull Bay Climb which is uh, a bracketed eliminator style street sprints road race up the steepest uh, climb in San Francisco. Um, so it's uh, three tenths of a mile up this 20% grade uh, climb, and uh, four riders go at a time. Top two move on, bottom two get eliminated until you've got uh, one winner left. Um, it looks wow. like about a one minute and 15 second effort, a um, bunch of times, which sounds awesome. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, real quick because I'm kind of naive to this. Like there's there's a Red Bull TV, right? Like that will be on there. Yeah. Like where can you watch this thing?
1: Um, I'm not exactly sure what the media package is going to be for this one specifically. I know there's going to be plenty of post-race coverage, and it may be live streamed. Okay. Um, I'll try to get some info on that. If it will be, I'll absolutely be posting links and stuff uh, before – right.
0: Which leads me it, which leads me into this. Uh, man, I'm interested in watching that bad boy, but I already follow Payson on all of his socials, so I will get that information, dude. Uh, like, where can people get follow you? Like, where can they, you know, just hook into your story and uh, learn more about you?
1: Um, I'm at Payson McKelvin for everything: uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Strava, dot com. Um. So yeah, try to keep it simple in that regard. <laughs>
0: awesome. All right, Payson, dude, I really appreciate you. Uh, I thank you for carving out some time here. Uh, we actually called an audible to get this done because he was like, "Hey, my morning actually opened up instead of the afternoon." And so again, I always I say this a lot. So you want to be pro, right? <laughs> um, you know, you just kind of kind of be flexible sometimes, and uh, and you know. Um, Kind of fly by the seat of your pants. But, again, that's what happens when uh, when you're a professional. Sometimes you get cramps and you make the best of it, right? So, <laughs> Kacen, thank you so much for your time, dude. You're uh, you're awesome, man. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep following you along your journey, my friend.
1: Yeah, thank you, Mario. Thanks for being flexible and uh, making this work. It's always a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Hey, hold on a second. I almost forgot, dude. Yeah. Uh, give a shout-out to your sponsors, man.
1: Yeah, so uh, I ride for the Orange Seal off-road team. Orange Seal is our title sponsor. Some of our other major sponsors are Trek Bikes, who I've been with for three years now. Uh, Kind of Tires, Valle Apparel. Um, uh, Red Bull is is also one of my main backers. Um, Oakley is a sponsor. Uh, SRM, SRAM. We've got a whole slew of great supporters that uh, make this wonderful lifestyle possible. So a big thanks to all of them. All right. What about human beings oh boy uh we got two more hours to talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um, last time.
0: you were like well I I don't
1: <laughs> leave out. no that doesn't mean that I, I should forgo mentioning some folks though um first and foremost always of course is my family um, mike and kathy mckelvin my sister lily um my coach my coach is christian williams of williams racing academy and you mario i consider you one of my coaches um and there's just a, you know, I'd like to thank the Durango community as a whole uh, because they always stand behind uh, their cyclists, which is huge, um, but also uh, the Texas community. Um, I really try to stay in touch uh, with that scene. It's changed a lot since I've le- since I've left, but um, I've still got lots of friends back there that I enjoy spending time with and, Uh, Enjoy my winter stints down there for preseason training camp. So thanks to all the folks uh, back home in Austin and Central Texas that have played a role. Um, I'll definitely never forget y'all.
0: That's it, man. We love it when you come down our way, man. (laughs) Me too. Awesome. Well, Payson, once again, man, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be hearing from you soon.
1: Sounds good, Mario. Thanks for the time.
0: All right. Thank you.
1: Talk to you later.